Hi, this is Roy's Rocket Radio, episode 36, recorded on Sunday, the 13th of April 2014, at 31 minutes past four in the afternoon. So, hi again. Uh, we'll start off with a little bit of news and get straight on to the main topics this week, which is, which are, sorry, Game of Thrones, the new season, and, of course, our continuing Doctor Who marathon, and this week we'll be tackling Series 1, Adventure 5, The Keys of Marinus. So, uh, right, a little bit of news first. Boldly voyaging the multiverse, my personal and occasionally annoying, I'm guessing to readers' blog, has moved from roymatur.wordpress.com to the self-hosted address roymatur.com slash blog. That's roymatur, R-O- Y-M-A-T-H-U-R. I did this because I was just a bit tired of the advertising that kept popping up, especially when you looked uh, at the site on a mobile device. And also, that wasn't the only reason, because if it was, I wouldn't have bothered moving. Because despite the advertising, having your blog hosted at the WordPress com site free is a lot easier than managing it yourself but I decided to do it because I'd have a bit more control over my posts and content and should I one day want to move to a different host it will be really easy to do because I'll have all the files there uh, not just the XM, the usual text XML file that you can get from a backup, but also the uh, pictures and media. So, I seem to manage to do it without any real problems. And yeah, so that's it. We're, uh, boldly Voyaging the Multiverse has moved. There were a couple of things I just mentioned in uh, possibly my first blog post at the new address, but I'll just mention it here. So if you listen to the podcast, you might not know that there are a few other things I have. But the, the main one is the Boldly Voyaging the Multiverse blog that you might enjoy. There were a couple of other things that I have, but they might not be of any interest to the casual view. I mean, if you want to know, viewer, sorry, listener, but if you want to know a bit more about me, you can find out at my personal website, which is easy enough to find. It's roymatur.com. Well, you'll find everything. If you look on the, if you Google me on the internet, it will come up as the Captain Space Time Vortex of Wonderment, which is now getting a bit geeky and embarrassing. But since I I entitled it that so long ago, I I don't care. I'm just going to leave it. But that's my personal website slash portal and you can find out more about me and it has links to everything else I do such as the blog such as this podcast and a few other things. Um, last year there was also StarAdventure.com sorry StarAdventurer.com which was until late last year my zine that published genre fiction so that would be science fiction fantasy and horror. It doesn't do that anymore, but I do have future plans for it. I mean, I've paid for the domain, so I might as well do something with it. So if you 
If you do visit StarAdventurer.com, you might see occasional activity, changing headers, changing posts, things like that. That's because I'm, like I said, I've got future plans for it, but I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it yet. So I'm tinkering around with it and also using it as a test bed to play around with a self-hosted WordPress installation rather than messing up my my personal blog without know what, knowing what I'm doing while I'm fiddling with the CSS or the PHP code. But eventually something should come of that. So just stay tuned. One of the ideas that I had for it actually was that I would, as, as I mentioned before, boldly voyaging the multiverse, the, the personal blog, it, it is quite personal and sometimes uh, annoyingly opinion, opinionated. But those are my personal views and I'd like to perhaps separate them from my output of more entertaining and less well, just more entertaining stuff to do with nerd culture in general and genre fiction particularly. But, like I said, just watch this space. So, what, right, next. Ah, yes. Now, last week I mentioned that I wanted to try FTL. Now, that's a new-ish very popular multi-platform top-down roguelike game. By top-down I mean you look the view you get is well <laughs> yeah literally from the top down. It's got a very retro feel to it. It's a bit like uh, the same feeling you'd get from well the same kind of game or the same kind of plot that you'd get for in games like the old Elite in MS-DOS. So you're the pilot of a spaceship and I'm guessing that you trade and, and fight battles and do things like and upgrade your ship. And apparently it's quite popular and I really wanted to try it out and I don't think it's very expensive either. But even though it isn't that expensive, I quite alarmingly, I, I don't really have the money to pay for it, so, and I've got something else that I've earmarked my uh, small amount of money for, and I'll talk about that right at the end of the show. So, no FTL review quite yet. Oh, and now some personal news. I've been dieting for the last week, and I know that's not really relevant to podcasts about... No well, actually, it is, isn't it? Because how many of us out there just sit in front of our computers vegetating all day, every day? And I'm not saying that in an accusatory manner. I'm saying that, you know, I'm holding my own hand up and saying I do that. I do that all the time. I probably spend more time sitting down than anyone on the entire planet, I'm guessing, and it really hasn't helped my physique, or, or lack thereof, which is becoming more and more potato-like as the months go by. So, uh, oh, um, yeah, and I mentioned in an earlier podcast that Elizabeth Moon talks about how you can vegetate if you spend most of your life in front of the computer, both mentally and physically, and it's definitely happening for me physically. So I've decided to start dieting, and it's been rough, man, it's been really rough. I, I didn't know how, how difficult it would be simply not to eat. I mean, people talk about having a balanced diet and that, but my, my caloric intake it's humongous, and it's a kind of un unconscious thing because you. A friend pointed out to me that yeah, I I sit in front of the TV and I tend to snack, and then I'll sit in front of the computer and I'll snack, and then I'll snack walking around, and when I'm walking around, I'll go to the pie shop or the fish and chip shop, or the wonderful local Chinese takeaway. In fact, two wonderful Chinese takeaway. 
Actually, make that the fish and chip shop, which is also extremely good. But it's, it's doing me no good whatsoever. And because I've come to realise that I've got so many more things that I want to do, I just don't want to keel over before I've done any of them. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's fear of death that's basically driving me to lose weight. And, and probably a bit of vanity, too. I'd like to fit into my own trousers. I have got really no dieting tips to share other than the most obvious, which is eat less. I've tried to stock up on all, all the usual things, but I'm finding if, if all I do is eat carrots all day, my diet will last about two hours and then I'll fall off it again. So I'm trying to have three <laughs> almost balanced meals a day and taking the usual vitamin supplements to make up for the, the, the loss in trace minerals and, and so on. But it's... Now that I'm on a diet that is recommended, I, I'm not even on a particularly extreme diet. I'm on a diet which is probably recommended for a person of my activity level and height and age. So it's not a particularly low-calorie diet, but it's really taking it out of, of me. Uh, and when I do get to meal times and I do eat something that... It's like, it's like a shark having a feeding frenzy. It is that ugly. And I can really... The other thing I've noticed is I can really taste the food. Over the past few months, food has kind of turned into tasteless mush. But now that I've been on the diet, it's like the best thing in the entire world. I could be eating a, cardboard, a piece of cardboard and it would taste like caviar. The other thing I've noticed is my energy levels really, really flag towards mealtime. And as soon as I take a bite, and this must be purely psychosomatic because it has no... You can't instantly access the calories that you eat in your mouth. But the moment I bite into something, it, it feels like I've just drank a pint of Red Bull. My, immediately, my synapses been, begin tingling. And I'm, yeah, this is definitely psychological, so... But, but, but it's having definite changes. I'm feeling definite changes, rather. The other thing I noticed is I'm getting really, really cold. And the temperature is, I don't know, I'm guessing it's around 20 degrees, so it's not particularly cold over the past few days outside. But I'm wearing more and more clothes. I'm wearing more clothes now than I did in the middle of winter. For instance, last night in the evening, I had on a rather revolting tracksuit. But I also had two pairs of socks. <laughs> so a normal pair of socks and then a big winter pair of socks. A winter bobble hat. And I had the fleece zipped up right to my neck. And I also went to bed that way. So I was wearing all that and then I piled a quilt on top of me as well. So, so much for the health benefits of dieting. But, but I hope, hopefully it'll pay off in the long run and I'll have a bit more time to do the things that I want to do without suddenly keeling over. So that's enough about dieting. If, if you, the one thing I will say, if you're starting a diet like I am, please try and stick with it. It'll, it'll, it's worth it in the end. I mean, that's the thing that's going to kill off most of us die-hard nerds. It's just being too fat and having heart attacks, I'm, I'm assuming. So stick with your diet, or, or at least try to. And let me know how that goes. Okay. And next 
tiny little amusing tidbit, or, or maybe not so amusing, depending on how you look at it, more embarrassing more than anything. I found myself, and I don't know if this is a result of sitting in front of the computer for so long and having a, a complete lack of social interaction, but quite embarrassingly, I'm finding myself talking to people that I don't know in quite a nerdy manner about nerdy topics. And, I mean, this has happened twice now in the last couple of weeks. The first time <laughs> was in an electronic shop where, where an assistant just said hi, and I launched into a, a spiel about how's he doing, and uh, it sounded like I really knew the guy, but I was just being friendly. And uh, as I was talking, I could see his face glazing over, probably out of boredom rather than fear. And... Um, he was probably thinking, what's this guy talking about? And and you see, now I don't want to be ageist, but you see quite a lot of older people doing this. They're, they're a bit lonely at home. And when I used to live in Vancouver, I found this a lot. You'd find uh, many expats from various different countries uh, who were away from family. And they would corner you in a store and start chatting to you. And I've now become one of those people. I also did this in a bookshop when I started talking at, not, not talking to, but talking at a woman who was looking for a science fiction book. And I was recommending a book and started going on and on about it. And I, I could see myself from a distance thinking, what is this guy talking about? Why doesn't he shut up? <laughs> so <laughs> I have to watch that. I mean, they tell kids not to talk to strangers for, for quite a different reason, but I'm saying if you're a nerdy writer or, or you spend a lot of time in front of the computer, be careful about talking nerdy to strangers. Because all that will happen is that they'll glaze over uncomprehendingly and try and drift and, and try and get away from you. Okay, just before we get onto the TV, one last thing. Now, I tweeted and then deleted it because nothing came of it, but I tweeted that I had a broadcast opportunity. And what this is, is my local hospital radio is looking for volunteers to host their own shows. So that's what I did. I, I volunteered a couple of weeks ago. I was given the introductory talk. And on Friday, I went in for what I thought was my first show, which meant that I panicked. And I spent most of the spare time I had that day, which was none, creating a show. I got my USB drive ready. I dra uh, dropped and dragged songs into my into a folder, I created a playlist. I learned how to use the latest version of VLC, which is quite good now because you can add you can add YouTube streams to VLC on your playlist. And the great thing about playing streams through VLC is you skip all the adverts. Yep, you don't have to wait five seconds and then click that little button now. You can just skip right ahead. Or if you're watching something like, say... I can't remember if The Guild is still distributed on YouTube. But if it is, you can watch episodes back-to-back -back by simply adding the stream locations to VLC. And I'm not going to go into how to do that here because it will just drive everyone batty with boredom. But Google that. So Google VLC YouTube streams, and you'll find out how to do that. But it is incredibly handy. What it meant was that I could create a playlist that was comprised of songs that were actually on the USB drive, and songs that I don't have but I found on YouTube. So anyway, I got all this list together, thing, and I, 
I was a bit nervous thinking I have no idea how to control that uh, great big monolithic looking mixer desk that I have in, in most DJ setups. No idea whatsoever. I went round, round there, but still, although I was nervous, I was all, all geared up, ready to go. And I went there and it turned out it was just the new members evening and they were just taking us around the wards, teaching us how to te uh, speak to patients. I got a little idea of how the hospital communication setup works, how, how patients can access radio. And by watching the, by watching someone on the mixing desk, I now have a fairly good idea of how it works. I mean, I, I was a bit disappointed that I didn't get to do my show quite yet, but I did learn quite a lot. In fact, I was watching that board like an eagle because I wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything. And it was quite an eye-opener. I didn't realise how little I do know, and I did learn a lot in only about an hour, so that was useful. But hopefully something will come of that, and I'll be then entertaining slash annoying patients on the hospital radio. But I'll let you know how that goes. Oh, incidentally, if you're wondering what kind of show I put together, I tried my hand at putting together a rock show. Because I'm fairly into loud music, so that kind of makes sense. Okay. Let me just peruse my notes and have a little drink. Non-alcoholic drink. Red Bull, in fact. And I'm not getting paid by Red Bull to say that. Hey, Red Bull, can you pay me to say that? Okay. So next, Game of Thrones, Season 4, Episode 1, entitled Two Swords. Yep, it's back, and it premiered on April the 6th in the USA and the 7th UK at the same time last week, sometime in the UK morning. And it was a fairly low-key build, but... As is traditional for GOT, we end the episode with a usual horrendous dose of gory violence. Just to remind you that this is GOT. I was most curious to see whether Theron would be joining a choir as a soprano this season but no news yet of his fate, as he does not appear in the first episode. So let's just catch up with the characters not killed off in last season's Red Wedding finale, as well as all the other characters. So far we've seen that uh, Tywin Lannister, uh, the Grand Puppet Master, and the, sh the opening episode starts with... Uh, let's see. Let's see. Yeah, he is making two swords from the magic metal of the Stark's great sword that now belongs to him, I suppose, because he's taken it. And, and this metal, which apparently is almost well, it's impossible to get. And if you even if you can get it you won't find someone to work the metal for you, but he does manage to find a smith to work this metal into two new swords for his house, one of which he gives to Jamie. And we'll talk about Jamie soon. Joffrey is still, obviously, a complete maniac. And he's preparing for his new manipulative bride, Marguerite Tyrrell, played by Natalie Dormer. That should be a marriage made in hell. Oh, and shallow, shallow Cersei seems to have gone off Jamie Lannister. 
big surprise there because he is now getting used to having a metal hand. I don't think she fancies a man with a metal hand. But actually, a metal hand. Right there's an, a, a fantasy trope if I ever heard one. I bet you he's going to come out with some, he's going to end up with some new name like Jamie Iron Fist. That's fantasy and that's also a bit rock and roll. Oh, and Amelia Clark's Daenerys Targaryen is still off conquering and amassing a humongous army. Also, her dragons are growing ominously large and rather untamable. Peter Dinklage's Tyrion is trying his own hand at diplomacy with some new characters. There are two vicious ambisexual southerners played by Pedro Pascal, who plays a character called Oberyn Martell, a.k.a. the Red Viper. <laughs> that, is, that, that, that is pretty vicious, the Red Viper. And English actress Indira Varma plays Elaria Sand, I think. Indira Varma is the actress who, amongst other things, most famously appeared in Kama Sutra and Luther. So, yay, brown person in genre. Uh, it's always good to see. And talking of Tyrion... He is also trying to console his new wife, Sansa Stark, Sophie Turner, while placating his dangerously jealous girlfriend. And the way they've... In fact, she's so jealous now, it's starting to put him in peril. And you can see that this is not going to end well. Oh, and back at the wall. Jon Snow is back at Castle Black. And he warns his fellow rangers of the Night Watch, Night's Watch that there is an impending invasion. Um, the, the action does flick back to the, uh, the, the savages waiting to invade. And I'm not going to give too much more... About that, but that that that's something to see. You you'll see a bit more of the tribal fens. Oh, and Arya, yeah, she is being escorted by the Hound to her aunt Lissa in the Vale, wherever that is, in exchange, un unsurprisingly, given. The Hound's character for a reward. But what am I saying? No one does anything for nothing on this show. They're all fairly nasty. And we learn a bit more about Arita, uh, sorry, Arya's character development towards the end of the show. Uh, and it's disturbing. Let, let, let's just say that. My plan for the show is that I'm, as usual, tending to follow Tyrion's story the closest. Though I also like Jon Snow and Arya. But Tyrion is definitely the most sympathetic character. Most people can relate to him. He's kind of bookish. He is not that great in battle. And he does a lot of thinking. And he pre prefers sitting in the bar and chatting to girls rather than doing any work. Which is all quite understandable. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying the first episode. I really can't. In fact, the time gulf between episodes, it's only a week, but it feels like a year. Okay, and on to the meat of the show, Doctor Who.
So this week, we're going to be talking about the adventure entitled The Keys of Mariners. This features the first Doctor, and it's the first series, Adventure 5, broadcast from the 11th of April 1964 to the 16th of May 1964. The writer this time is Terry Nation. All hail Terry Nation! Director John Gorry, don't know who that is, but I thought I'd mention him anyway. Producer, the famous Verity Lambert. The cast is, as usual, William Hartnell as the Doctor, Carol Ann Ford as Susan Foreman, Jacqueline Hill as Barbara Wright, and William Russell as Ian Chesterton. In this episode, we also have George Coluris as Arbitan. Coluris, actually, George Coluris. I think that's how you say it. Sounds Greek. You know, that name sounds familiar. Now... Hi again. So there was a little gap, a bit of dead air just now, but what you don't know is I had a phone call in the middle of the podcast, so my recording software, Clear Record Light, on my iPhone automatically cut out and let the phone uh, take over, which was a bit inconvenient, and... So, but now I am back in the show, and we were talking about, though I probably, I don't need to remind you because I'll have edited that gap out, but just for my own benefit, I'm going to repeat what I just said, uh, just to remind me where I am in the show. George Kalaros is Arbitan, that's where we were. So, a synopsis of what happens during the adventure. Let's see now. Last week, there was a narrow escape from the court of Kublai Khan. And the team land at a beautiful beach. When they come out of the TARDIS, they see that there is, they're on a desert island, island with a huge structure poking out of a tropical jungle. It's a big high-tech pyramid. And they're surrounded by sea. At the same time, unbeknownst to the guys, three torpedo-like glass craft like newfangled glass submarines, arrive at the beach, and two weird, though human, humanoid-shaped amphibians get out. Later, when the Doctor discovers the craft, he finds a third amphibious creature in the third uh, craft that was left abandoned by the beach. And what's happened is that this last creature has dissolved (laughs) into his suit. Uh, That's just the, the rubbery suit of the creature, but no creature inside. And what's happened is that the sea that surrounds the island the beautiful sea is in fact a deadly acid. So now they're, the team are a bit on their toes and slightly disturbed that the place that they landed isn't the paradise it first seemed to be. So they make their way to the high-tech pyramid and meet a man co- called Arbitan. Now Arbitan guards something called the conscious conscience of Marinus, which is a giant mind-control computer that enforces peace on the planet of Marinus. 
We then find out that the amphibians are trying... Uh, are Well, we'll get on to what their purpose is a bit later. But the amphibians themselves are criminals who call themselves the Vord, led by their evil master, Yartek. Now, though the... What's happened is, the Vord have found a way to resist the power of the mind-control computer, and while the rest of the population is docile, they just steal and kill and do whatever they want. Arbitan then tells the Doctor that after so many years, the computer, well, he, he or the computer has come up with a way to control the Vord. But in order to bring peace to the planet properly this time and control these evil criminals, the computer needs to be reactivated. And now we come to the title of the show, The Keys of Marinus, because the keys are a set of microchip-type control mechanisms, like little USB drive things, that you need to plug into the computer to activate it. And Arbitan needs the Doctor's help to search the planet for these microchips. Understandably enough, the Doctor and his companions aren't really keen on doing that. Although they sympathise with Arbitan, it's hardly their problem and they'd rather be on their way. But when they get back to the TARDIS at the beach, they find that it's surrounded by a force field erected by Arbitan. He's using the force field to imprison the TARDIS so that the Doctor and his companions can't get away unless they do as, as he says and helps them. In order to help them on their quest, they're given a teleportation bracelet each, like a little thing that you strap around your wrist, like a, wa a watch. And the idea of these is that they can travel around the planet much more quickly. What might have taken them months or years to accomplish, they can, they can do by simply pressing a button and they'll appear somewhere else. And one of the nice things about the way the the bracelets work is when you press the button, when a person presses the button, they'll immediately vanish. There won't be any weird tingly Star Trek thing with a buzzing noise that goes or, or the same kind of that you get in Blake 7. They just immediately disappear. There'll be a tiny noise which I've taken to be the air that they've left behind being displaced. And it reminds me, it's the best that I've seen of how teleportation would appear, in, in my mind. It's the best interpretation of that. And I'm harking back to authors like Larry Niven, who used something called the displacement booth, where, that you would step in and you would appear somewhere else with a pop of air. And that's what it reminded me of. It was pretty clever. I like I like that bit. Um, I'm struggling a bit now because I'm lost in my notes, which is one great big block of text. Let's see what happens next. Right, so they've been given the, these bracelets and they need to find the keys of Marinus to reactivate the computer. They, the first place they go to is, well, they go to a number of places. I don't have to go through each of the places now, otherwise I'll spoil the whole adventure for you. But they journey to various parts of the planet, which are markedly different. You get jungle, arctic, and a couple of urban environments. 
And along the way they're joined by Arbitan's daughter and boyfriend who helps them. And we found out earlier on that the, the reason Arbitan needed to send the Doctor and his team is that he did send his daughter and her boyfriend earlier on, but they never returned. And we do find out why, but then they rejoin the quest for the keys together with the Doctor, Susan, Barbara and Ian. So through solving various puzzles and mysteries, and undergoing the usual dangers, they eventually retrieve all the keys and return to the pyramid. Unfortunately, that criminal mastermind I mentioned earlier, Yartak, has beaten them to it. And he's also, let's just say he's disposed of Arbitan, and wants the keys to control the conscience. And that will give him ultimate power over Marinus. And when we see him, he is in full supervillain mode now. And actually, I found him pretty disturbing. He wears, like all the rest of the Vord, a, rub a horned rubber mask which is extremely sinister. I'm trying to think of the most sinister mask you get in Doctor Who, and there are quite a few. I, uh, the only one I can compare it with is the mask that Sharaz Jek wears in a much later adventure with Peter Davidson. And even that mask is less disturbing than this one. The, the mask reminds me of a, a kind of gas mask arrangement that a character from... Oh, there was a 2000 AD comic. Well, well, not, not 2000 AD itself, but from the makers of 2000 AD, but from a mature audience. I think the comic was called Crisis. And there was a particular character, a kind of eco-warrior who wore this really sinister mask. I can't remember what the name of the character was. I think it was either Finn or his real name was um, Paul, I think. But yeah, he, he was like this green eco-terrorist and he wore this terrifying mask. Um, and, and anyway, if you don't know the comic, that won't mean much to you, but the mask reminded me a lot of that. It was quite good. If you wore that to a fancy dress party, uh, you would be absolutely terrifying. So it looks like Yartak has the upper hand. But through a twist, he is foiled at the last minute and gets blown up. At which point, the Doctor and his companions eventually leave Marinus back in the hands of its people, who are finally free of enforced peace through mind control, and the, or the threat of the vile Vord. And free will eventually triumphs. Yeah! So that's a synopsis of the story. And I don't think I've given too much away. You'd still find it pretty entertaining to watch. I will say, though, at six episodes long, it does again feel a bit long-winded. I think you could have compressed the whole adventure into maybe a one-hour uh, long episode. Because, let's see, six episodes at 20 minutes, so that's... Uh, that's a yeah, that's spread way too long. That's two hours. I, I think it could have easily be done in an hour. Oh, and the other thing, of course, which is very familiar by now, is the occasional screaming female companions who are in imminent peril. And this is no different from any of the other previous episodes. It happens... It happens now and then, maybe not as frequently as before, uh, but it does happen. 
especially to Susan. I felt also that this episode had parallels with Terry Nation's later Blake 7 episode from the first series, episode 4 entitled Time Squad, which also had enigmatic stalking killers. And there's a bit of Greek mythology thrown in too, in the shape of Odysseus's adventure, well, uh, yeah, Odysseus's adventure with a land in the land of the Lotus Eaters. Which you might have seen a more current adaptation of in Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief 2010, which had a little section which adapted the Odysseus myth for the modern audience. Now, the idea of teleport bracelets, as I mentioned before, does seem straight out of the technology aboard the Liberator spaceship, also from Blake 7. And you do definitely get a feeling of quality sci-fi with this adventure. You can see, quite clearly see, how Terry Nation is developing as a writer. It's quite impressive, and you can see that it's, he's going to go on to even greater things. So that's it for This Week in the Doctor. As usual, the, the Doctor has saved the day. And that was the Keynes of Marinus, 1964. One other thing I noticed, it's quite amusing, is uh, to see William Hartnell muff his lines a few times during the show. I, I think there's a bit more friendship between the actors themselves, as Ian doesn't seem quite as scornful as he was before. But it is very, very funny to see William Hartnell muff his lines. Saying that, I mean, look how many times I muff my lines. I've got my notes in front of me. I've practised and I'm doing a podcast. I don't have the pressure of anyone around me. And I muff my lines all the time. So given this due, it's not an easy job. The other thing... Uh, try not to give too much... Okay, there's, there's part of... This adventure, where William Hartnell has a moment in court where he has to make a speech, a bit like a defence lawyer. Now, I've noticed throughout the um, previous episodes, William Hartnell has a habit of holding his lapels. And I've seen that, oh, there's a really famous film that they've parodied so many times on programmes like The Simpsons, pro probably Futurama as well, where it's set in the South. It, is it Harper's Lee, Harper, Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird? Who was that? Was that Gregory Peck? Uh, sorry, Gregory Peck. Gregory Peck, who stars in that as a Southern defence lawyer. And I remember him strutting around the court, holding his lapels, quite self-importantly. And, you know, as, as I'm saying this, I'm, holding, I'm pulling out my fleece in much the same way, digging my thumbs into the, the non-existent lapels, pretending to be a pompous lawyer. And William Hartnell has this habit of doing so, and he has done so throughout the whole series, even though he's a Gallifreyan scientist, not a lawyer. I'm guessing that maybe William Hartnell in his long career in film and TV has played a lawyer before or always felt the ambition to play a lawyer and now he gets the chance and he struts around court and he can hold his lapels quite proudly because he is now actually a lawyer. But that, did, that, that, that was quite amusing. So that's it for the doc for Doctor Who this week. What else have we got? Oh, I wanted to mention a bit about gaming. So we we all know that 
there's the uh, Steam machine. Well, Steam have brought out uh, a set of specs and possibly their own machine, but I'm not sure yet, for a console to specifically run their Steam distribu uh, games distribution service. And it seems to be tentatively called the Steam Machine. And I've talked about this before, so it's, I'm not going to talk about it much now. And there was another company called Oya. O-U-Y-A. I've almost certainly pronounced that completely wrong. But I've tried, so that's what matters. They brought out a cubic-shaped uh, Android-only console which kind of failed, mainly, I think, because they were being too precious and proprietary about the way they distributed the games, and it all short-circuited for them, uh, from a business point of view, that is, rather than technological. And Apple have threatened for a while to... Come up with uh, come out with uh, Apple TV. I mean, I'm and I'm not talking about the set top box that you can get now, but a, a real Apple branded television. But they haven't done that so far. But what I have read in Forbes is that in January Apple were planning to now include console functionality. And actually, on that note, did, did you know that this isn't the first time that Apple has gone into the console market? I didn't know this. Like, Apple have come up with so many products that never went anywhere. But the, back in the 90s, there was the Apple Bandai Pippin. And I'm assuming Apple had to deal with a Japanese toy company, Bandai, to produce this gaming console called the Pippin. But look it up. And, yeah, there's also Google, uh, the news that Google has bought a company called, I think, Green Throttle. And that's just a few weeks back. They are a company that have made a smartphone game controller. And the reason I'm mentioning all these well, let's say lesser consoles, because none of them can yet compete with the Xbox or the PSP. The reason I'm mentioning all these is that Amazon have said that they want to get into gaming too. But the difference between Amazon and Google, Apple, um, Steam to a lesser extent, and OU who kind of failed, is that they've already done it. In fact, they've been there. They've been in the console space for about a month. They have brought out something called Apple. Well, sorry, I've got Apple on the brain. They've brought out something called Fire TV. Now, this is a set-top box that comes with a remote, and most interestingly, it also comes with. Uh, Nintendo slash Xbox-ish Zabby controller, uh, you know, an X-A-B-Y controller. I, I find this really interesting because they've, they've obviously seen that the future for them is in gaming. And I'm assuming that this new Fire TV will run some version of Android, uh, well, heavily modified Android. Uh, well, what else did they say? They also... Right, well, obviously the first thing is these will cost much, much less than a new Xbox One or a PS... Uh, PlayStation 4. Or even the Steam Machine, which which is looking like it will cost way more than an Xbox or a PlayStation. They do look like they'll be focusing on cheaper and low-powered 
games ported from the Fire, uh, the Kindle Fire. According to Wired.com, they have around a hundred games now, and they will have around a thousand in a month's time. And of course, the, the, being cheaper, it won't have the graphics uh, processing power of a dedicated uh, console or gaming PC. But also, it will cost a lot less. And because it's bundled with the Kindle Fire, t the, the set-top box, it seems like they're trying to just find another way of making money for, from noobs or, or casual gamers as a kind of add-on. You know, you've got the, you've bought the set-top box, you can watch uh, television, you can watch the stream television from Amazon using that. And now, should you wish to, you can also play games. Don't know how much money they'll make, but I'm guessing they're not going to make a huge loss either. There's been some debate as to whether this will mark the death knell for the Xbox or the PlayStation, and I just don't think so. Uh, it, it's such a different game space uh, or market. People who are going to people are still going to buy the Xbox One and the PlayStation. They'll be dedicated gamers. Although some gamers are also moving over to PCs. I'm not a dedicated gamer, but I'm definitely, definitely a PC person. Uh, that, that is my choice of weapon for gaming. So I don't think it will make a dent in either of those markets. But I think, I think it will probably scare people like Google. Just Jeff Bezos extending his super villain, villainy empire even further. Uh, right. That's really it for the show. Oh, um, a couple of last things I wanted to mention though. Just before we go. Now, you must have seen on TV recently, uh, especially if you get FreeSat or Sky or Virgin, that the Horror Channel are planning to air vintage Doctor Who. And they keep, they've got that advert that's running and running, saying that it's now on the Horror Channel and it will start from the Easter weekend and it's about time. I think Tom Baker says does the voiceover. Uh, what I've read is, and what I've seen from the advert, is that they've bought the rights to retransmit Doctor Who. That's Doctors 1 to 7, so starting with William Hartnell and ending with Sylvester McCoy. Now, given that's the case, it does seem that this podcast marathon seems quite timely. I had no idea that the Horror Channel were going to do this, but I'm, I'm, it, it's great that it's coinciding kind of with my podcast, although I'm a bit ahead now. But the point I wanted to make is that if you want to catch up with my podcast, which talks about the shows that the Horror Channel are about to screen, or if you want to listen in tandem with the Horror Channel itself screenings, you know, you want to watch the show on TV and then listen to my podcast, you can do that. Just head over to iTunes and search for Roy's Rocket Radio and subscribe. The information you need is that the marathon starts at Roy's Rocket Radio episode 33 with An Unearthly Child, this episode will be broadcasted on Friday the 18th of April 2014 at 7 in the evening on Sky 319, Virgin 149 or FreeSat 138. So then you'll have something to extend your enjoyment of the show on television. If you can bear to listen to me, that is...
the final piece of the final topic I wanted to talk to you about was the amazing Spider-Man. Right now, at the top of the show, I mentioned that I couldn't afford really to buy FTL, that top-down 2D game that I was chatting about, the spaceship uh, simulator. And the reason I couldn't afford to do it is because I want to save a few pounds to, to watch The Amazing Spider-Man 2. That's where the mo money's going, on another cinema bargain, in quotation marks, Tuesday. I just hope that the film industry appreciates my sacrifice. Last of all, please rate my show in iTunes. It does encourage me to carry on. Or not carry on, maybe. And I appreciate having listener feedback. That would be nice too. Some feedback. Let me know what you want me to talk about. Or even if you want to come on the show, let me know. That would be, that would be quite good to have some more guests. So that's it for today. You have listened to Roy's Rocket Radio, episode 36, recorded on Sunday the 13th of April 2014 and ending at 6.35 in the evening. So thank you very much for listening to the show and can't wait to talk to you about more Doctor Who and more nerdy stuff next time. So thanks for listening. Bye.